We know there are times where you're just too busy to sort through the mass of information that comes your way. So to make it easier for you to stay informed, subscribe to The Morning Agenda, WITF's news podcast, where the only agenda is you. Funding for The Spark is provided by Capital Blue Cross, focused on creating a healthier future for our communities through innovations like its Capital Blue Cross Connect Health and Wellness Centers, which provide in-person services and inspire healthy living. Learn more at CapitalBlueCross.com. The Spark is also supported by UPMC Heart and Vascular Institute, where you get access to the most advanced treatment options, including a range of clinical trials. Learn more at upmc.com slash central PA heart. Today's high school students are inundated with information in classes that they may or may not use when they become adults and are working and raising families. One thing they'll have to learn is how to manage their finances. Our parents may have taught us about checking accounts, paying uh, paying bills, credit scores, but too many of us learn by trial and error. With that in mind, Pennsylvania has become the 25th state to require high schools to provide a course in personal financial literacy starting in the 2026-27 school year. NextGen Personal Finance is a nonprofit organization that has been pushing for all high school students to take a semester of personal finance before graduating. On The Spark today, we're joined by Yanelli Espinel, Director of Outreach for NextGen Personal Finance and author of the book, Mind Your Money. Yanelli Espinel, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm so excited to have this conversation. It's one of my absolute favorite topics to talk about. <laughs> Of all time. Well, you see, that's just it. I mean, I, I watched a few and listened to a few of your podcast, and I thought that Yanelli is like the most passionate person I have ever seen about personal <laughs> finance. So how did you develop this passion for making sure that not only yourself, but that other people know how to manage their money? Yeah. I mean, you know, this, it's a very personal thing for me. And I think a lot of people probably experience a similar thing psychologically. When you have been deprived of something, you either are resentful and angry, or you just say, you know what, I'm going to get my revenge a different way. I'm going to get access to it anyway. And, and that's what happened with me. I never got a personal finance class in school, even though I was an overachiever academically. I took all the AP classes. I got a full scholarship to college. I was very academically driven. And I know that if I had been given the opportunity to take a class about money, I would have been really good at money. But because I never got it, I ended up with lots of credit card debt in college and after college. I didn't know a thing about how to manage my bank account, my credit cards, and and I made a lot of mistakes. So I now I'm very passionate about this because I think that it's the way to help so many others prevent those mistakes and those you know cycles of, of negative financial choices from repeating themselves. You went to Brown University, an Ivy League school. When did you realize that you hadn't been educated in finances? You know, I got to say, it was not when I got my credit card. (laughs) When I got that credit card, I thought... I I had accomplished something like I thought I was successful. I had this plastic card with my name on it. You know, that's an accomplishment. I could go and pay for my own textbooks and not have to bug my parents who really couldn't afford, frankly, couldn't afford to help me. And so I felt like I was proud of myself because I didn't understand what the terms and conditions were between me and that credit card. And like, what does it mean to borrow money from a bank or a financial institution and promise to pay it back? 
plus really high interest that compounds annually. And because I didn't know what any of that meant, um, I was just out swiping my credit card, buying everything that I wanted and things that I needed. And so I think it was the repercussions of those choices is when I really learned. I sat down with my credit card statements and I was just crying, you know, like, how did I let it get so bad? Like, how did these interest charges just keep accruing? And it just felt like I had dug myself into a hole and it was just time for me to figure out how to get myself out of it. Did you talk to your classmates about this? Were they in a similar situation? You know, I got to say a lot of my friends that I gravitated towards were similar in terms of like their financial background, like their families also were lower income. A few of them were in the same scholarship program that I was at, that I was involved in. And so we we all kind of struggled together. And I thought it was normal to have to, uh, you know, work three, four five jobs and to have to borrow money to pay for everything. And uh, and so it felt normal to me. Um, and, and I recognized later on that some of my wealthier peers were getting money from their parents and, and, you know, their parents would put thousands of dollars in their, in their debit cards and, and like, just felt very unfair. But at the same time, I didn't really quite know how to reconcile those differences. And I just felt like, you know what, I'm going to have to make do with what I've got. It's not a lot. So I'm going to have to borrow until I can, you know, sustain myself financially eventually. So I'm not going to ask for a specific number or a percentage, but do you think there are a lot of young people who experienced the same thing as you did? I got to say, absolutely. One out of three students who go to college experience this because of their first generation identity. So most of the students that are going to college are having to make financial choices every single day. You know, it's very rare that you find a college kid who doesn't have to think about money at all. They're having to figure out how to buy detergent and how to buy textbooks and if they're going to buy their friend a birthday gift or not um, and how to pay for lab fees and supplies for class. Like the everyday decisions around money pop up and nonstop. And, you know, for me, I would say the first gen identity that I had being the first generation in my family to go to college, being a first generation American, those first gen identities overlap in a way where I felt a lot of pressure that like I had to figure this out. And I think a lot of first generation college students and first gen Americans are experiencing that pressure too. I have to smile when I, I, I heard you say you have to figure out how to pay for detergent before you said paying for books. So <laughs> obviously you want to make sure that the clothes were cleaned out there. Oh, yeah. That fit matters more than any other time in your life when you're in your 20s. You care so much about what people think about your outfit. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about the Next Gen Personal Finance. Uh, you're the director of outreach. Talk about Next Gen if you would. Yeah, so Next Gen Personal Finance is a national nonprofit organization. I got involved with them in 2018 when they found uh, some of my videos I was posting on YouTube where I was just putting some financial literacy tutorials together on social media, just trying to do my part to expand access to, to financial education. But in 2014, this nonprofit was founded by two co-founders, Tim Ranzetta and Jessica Endlich. Uh, Tim has a background in entrepreneurship and business, and Jessica's background is actually in education. She was like the youngest high school principal in the New York City Department of Education. 
And so they knew that there was a lack of curriculum and especially curriculum that was accessible for free. A lot of times if your school is underfunded and your budget is tight, you just won't consider financial literacy because you can't afford to pay for the curriculum materials, the lesson plans, the activities, the games, the homework assignments, the assessments and the answer keys. That's a lot of materials. And so they decided they were going to create this curriculum and make it 100% free for anyone and everyone but especially target teachers in, in schools, in public schools to say, hey, you can grab this curriculum, ready to go out of the box and teach it. The great thing about it is that it's online based. So even if, you know, you a lot of teachers will say, oh, but I like having a textbook. But if you print a financial literacy textbook, it's going to be outdated in just a matter mm. of weeks because interest rates change, tax policy changes, new legislation makes Roth IRAs now able to be switched to 529, vice versa. I mean, things just change all the time. So having it online is just an incredible way to keep it up to date and 21st century relevant. Um, and so just to be clear, you know, NGPF is not a vendor. We're not selling anything. The curriculum is free. And also the teacher training is 100% free. And there's also advocacy tools and research on the website to help make a case for financial education. So the website is ngpf.org. So Pennsylvania, as I mentioned in the introduction, will become the 25th state in the country that uh, high schools will be required to offer or, uh, you know, to have their students uh, with a personal finance uh, course. So what will be taught in those personal finance courses? I mean, you've touched on a lot of these things already. Yes. Yeah, so I would say it does look a little different state by state. In Pennsylvania specifically, uh, I think I want to say in 2010 or 2011, 2010, there was an act passed called Act 104, which required a task force to be created for economic education and financial literacy. And those members of that task force had to come together and decide over the few years following that act what would be their uh, recommendations that they would offer to the governor and to the General Assembly. And so they created a report, that task force, and one requirement that they, or one thing that they recommended to the governor was a requirement for high school graduation, which is now a reality due to SB 843, this legislation that recently passed in Pennsylvania. But the second thing was that they decided, hey, it would be a really good idea for Pennsylvania to create state-specific standards for K through 12 instruction of financial literacy. And so that's something that's being developed right now. And the state of Pennsylvania will soon have their own state specific personal financial literacy standards, which will cover so many important topics. I mean, the key is that each state sort of decides what they want to emphasize, but there are national standards for personal finance that already exist, which include these big buckets like earning income, spending money, saving money, investing, understanding credit and managing credit and managing risk. So they sort of put all of the different lessons under one of these big buckets. And that's how students are being taught all the different, you know, basic financial lessons about budgeting, banking, and how to make, you know, a, a plan around your future goals for money. They all fit into one of these larger buckets. You touched on this when you were talking about your own experience when you went off to college. But let's talk about what young people, specifically high school students, what don't they know about personal finances? 
oof, there's so much. I mean, anything that they have not yet experienced firsthand or anything that their parents have not yet taught them yet or like that they haven't exposed to. So these are going to be like your deeper financial topics, you know, taxes. They've never paid taxes before, likely if they're teenagers. Insurance. They haven't had to select insurance, whether that's health insurance, car insurance, life insurance, homeowners insurance. Mm. Uh, investing. A lot of times they just haven't thought about the stock market yet and what opportunities exist for them to build wealth over time. Some of them may have bank accounts, but many of them don't yet have bank accounts. And they haven't yet had to create a budget, um, you know, and decide like, what am I going to allocate my money to? And what do I just have to cut out? Because I just simply don't have enough dollars, right? And and many of them have never considered their credit score, what it is and, and why it matters. Um, but I think one of the most important things that a lot of teenagers don't know today that is probably so, so much more critical than a lot of people think is the psychology of money right? The behavioral economics and the psychology aspect comes in because so much of money today is internet-based. It's digital. And so when we think about the way the internet looks today and how it operates, it's very different from how it was even just, you know, 10, 20 years ago. It's as if the internet is so much more invasive in our lives. I mean, companies are constantly it's just putting a barrage of ads before us, whether that's on social media, whether that's on a web browser. And then what they do is they target us with these ads and then retarget. Even if you just look at an ad for a couple seconds, they know that you hovered over it for a little bit longer than all the other content on that page. And they will retarget you until you make a purchase. And that to me as a millennial and probably every generation older than us, they, we see that as a bit invasive and, and a little bit too, uh, you know, it's, it's too much. It, it's more negative than positive versus these younger generations, Gen Z and, and younger. This is their normal. They have been experiencing this world of the Internet. It is their normal. They don't see it as invasive to be targeted and retargeted. And so I think we really have to help students understand what they don't know, which is that your personal finances are being influenced constantly by your psychology. And when that's being tampered with online by all of these mega corporations and companies that want to take the dollars right out of your wallet, you sort of have to build up some resistance. You've got to educate yourself and you have to understand how to fight back so that you can keep those dollars in your wallet rather than constantly paying them to companies and products and services without giving it too much thought. You know, you just scared me and a lot of people by what you described. <laughs> you it know, is scary. <laughs> it, it is. You know, we look at Google Trends all the time when we're thinking about uh, topics to uh, feature on the program. Just yesterday, I noticed that one of the most, uh, the biggest trends in America was how to create a budget. Now, I wonder why, I don't know if it was because it was January or what, but I was curious as to why that was, you know, it said it would, had gone up 850% since the first of the year of people looking to see how to create a budget. This is kind of the basic of the basics when you talk, of, and so many people don't know how to do it. So generally, how does... Uh, a 15, 16-year-old, maybe 18, 19-year-old, then a young adult after they're out of school working for the first time. How do they create a budget? 
Yeah, you know, this is going to vary so much. And I suspect this is probably why people have been searching for it, because every time you go online to look it up, you're going to see a million different opinions about how to make a budget. You're going to have the 50-30-20, where you split your income 50% towards needs and 30% towards wants and 20% towards debt and, 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 you know, getting yourself in a better place financially. Then you have those who say, no, 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 the best way to budget is a zero-based budget where you have to account for every single penny that comes in and have a place for it in your budget. And then you have folks that are like a bit old school and they're like, no, you got to create a cash-based envelope system where you, when your envelope is at nothing, you've run out of money for that category and you can't spend until you refill it next month. And so because there's so many different uh, personal preferences for how to budget and strategies for budgeting, that's where I think we we sort of overwhelm young students and we sort of maybe even confuse them a little bit because so much of what we learn in school is being taught as black and white. Here's a math question. Here's the right answer. It's it's just you, you learn it and this is what it is. But with personal finance, right, it, it, it's so personal. That's the, the first word in this term, personal finance. It's so personal based on your values, based on your preferences. You might want a digital uh, budgeting system or you might want something tactile that you can do hands on. A cash envelope system might be something you prefer or a, a, a journal where you write down everything you spend money on and keep track that way. So I think what we've done, at least at NGPF, is our curriculum has sort of separated but, uh, how to budget into two different ways. The first thing is to do a values-based exercise where you simply don't think about the dollar amounts. You don't think about the math of it. You just think about what values you have. And the way we do that is there's a game called the bean game where students have a worksheet in front of them that has all the budgetary categories, housing, food, transportation, you know, electronics and entertainment. And they have to go through and allocate. They're, they're given 20 uh, dry beans or, or even, you know, you could do sunflower seeds or something like that. But you they, you get 20 little items and then they have to go through and allocate. OK, so if I want to live by myself in my own bachelorette pad, I got to put four beans on housing. And then I want to have high speed Internet. I got to put three beans on Wi-Fi. But then I'm running out of beans so quickly and I'm like, oh, no, but I haven't even saved anything. Okay, so if I want to put two beans in my savings, well, then I'm going to have to not live in a bachelorette pad. I'm going to have to get a roommate, and then I'm going to have to move two of those beans away from housing and put them in saving. So we're not talking about dollar amounts yet, but they're exploring their values and where they're willing to compromise in order to make ends meet somewhere else. And I think that that is such an important exercise because oftentimes we just jump to the finances of budgeting, to the dollar amounts and the calculations and the percentages. And yet we don't give students the space to just think about what matters to them personally. Maybe their family values, their cultural values, their financial goals are gonna be different than their classmates. So we really just want this class to be a space for them to think critically and explore a lot of those ideas and reflect about their values around money. And then we get to the math of it, the spreadsheet, the tracker, in the inflow and outflow of cash. That part can be taught and can be memorized pretty rotely. But the values exploration and the personal reflection, that's critical to, to come first. And would you call that the most important part? Because, I mean, I look down this list of things to talk about credit scores, loans, debt, establishing credit, all those things. Is that budget the first thing that maybe a student should do? 
I do think that tracking your spending is probably going to be the most important. Now, some people do it in different ways. And the word budget obviously makes a lot of people uncomfortable. They cringe. Oh, I don't want to be on a budget. That makes <laughs> me feel like it's restricting me. And, I, and I'm living in this mentality of a lack of money and I have to cut back on my budget. But I think tracking is the key. Accounting systems. I mean, if we think about just the earliest times, right, M money or, or numbers, right, in math was created so we could have accounting systems, right? So you have to have an accounting system for your money, whether that's tracking, just writing down everything that you are spending money on for a couple of days so you can see some trends um, or having a really meticulous plan. But I think the key for students is oftentimes you're just spending. If you get an allowance or if you earn a paycheck, you just start spending it until you don't have any left and then you wait for the next refill. And that's dangerous especially as a habit to start forming that early because you're not really thinking about planning before you spend the money. And so I think the key is to start getting them to track so they can see some patterns and analyze that that spending data. You know, Google and Facebook and, and, and Meta, all these companies, they are obsessed with your data. They want our data so bad. Why? Because they want to see trends in how we spend. We need that data so we can see trends in how we spend and we can make better and more informed decisions. Mm. We only have about 30 seconds left. I have to say you are one of the most energetic and passionate guests <laughs> I have ever had on this program after 20 years of doing it. So <laughs> congratulations. You. I think that's a, a, a good way to say it. But thank you very much for being with us today. I, you know, there's so many things that you've talked about that I don't think can, can be confined to young people. It could be because there are so many of us who learn by trial and error, and sometimes it's too late. It uh, is after a few years of rent, a house, kids, a wife, a husband, all those things. So uh, I want to thank you, Nelly Espinal, Director of Outreach for Next Gen Personal Finance, author of the book, Mind Your Money. Thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you so much. As you said, it's important to teach this in public schools and not leave it to the school of hard knocks.